Hi, everyone, and welcome to Eater's Digest, a show about all things food and dining. I'm Amanda Clute, editor-in-chief of Eater. My name is Daniel Janine. I am a producer at Eater. Uh, Amanda, it's good to hear your voice. Um, you know, dog days of summer, restaurants back open, world is, I mean, at least in New York and California, I feel like we're seeing some semblance of normal. The streets of New York are slammed. Oh, yeah. The U.S. is definitely on its way back. Um, this week on the show, we... <laughs> yeah, why don't you just move on? <laughs> I mean, I don't want to tease people by pretending we're getting into it. Yeah. So, Daniel, there was a big primary election in New York, and one of... I mean, the front runner, the very clear front runner, and the person who many people assume will win is Eric Adams, the Brooklyn Borough president, uh, who we interviewed on the show in December. Yeah. And... I thought it might be nice to revisit that episode now that this guy actually could, you know, is likely to be the mayor of New York City, uh, a very important city in the country. Yeah, you know, it. Uh, he talks a lot about his trend, um, about how he got into veganism and, and, and what veganism means to his health. And I got to say, it is it is actually, I can't think of another prominent vegan politician. You know what I mean? Like someone who is vocal about it. That is a good point. Not that that matters that much, but it is... Cory Booker. Cory Booker, okay. Him and Cory Booker, yeah. Two most prominent vegan politicians that I've ever heard of. Good point, good point. Who's the bigger deal now? Cory Booker or Eric Adams? Maybe Eric Adams. No, if he wins. No, still Cory Booker? (laughs) It's it's really, really a tie in my mind. Uh, Yeah, I think he's, you know, one of the most prominent political vegans. He also has a lot of interesting thoughts around rooftop farming around improving the food offerings in hospitals, schools, jails, et cetera, and getting trucks off the road. And I think he has some really interesting and compelling food policies. I'm actually very excited about that. I I really believe in that. I think the more rooftop farming, the more urban farming, the better. It's kind of a, it's kind of a no loss, gives jobs, reattaches people with the, the kind of food infrastructure. And uh, leads to healthy body, healthy mind. Who am I? And the next Eric Adams? Whew. Wow, wow. Yeah, you sound great. So we're going to listen to this interview with, with Mr. Adams. And then next week, we have a very special surprise for you guys. We are going to be running the first episode of Land of the Giants Delivery Wars, which is a special miniseries we've been working on with the Recode team. Uh, we're we're going to run the first episode in our feed, and then you can go over to the land of the giant speed to listen to the rest of the show. Daniel, today on the show, we have Brooklyn Borough President and New York City mayoral candidate Eric Adams. I wanted to have him on the show because he's very passionate about rooftop farming, getting healthy food to food deserts, and using food as weapon against chronic diseases like diabetes, which disproportionately impacts African-American communities. Uh, Borough President Adams, welcome to the show. Thank you, uh, Amanda and Daniel. Uh, it's, it's great to be here. And, you know, you, you started out, you said what I was passionate about. And I, I am probably one of the few uh, people who have reached this level of government that I'm passionate about uh, our universe. Uh, I think far too often uh, when you are part of government, you become so scripted. Mm -hmm. And you do not have personal narratives that make you uh, and it forces you to look at life in a different way. 
And I think that the dark moments in my life, um, I was able to um, take them from being burials to plantings. And it led me to a journey of realizing the universality of our coexistence, not only with our mothers, but Mother Earth. Yeah. And I, I view everything through that prism. And so, you know, sometimes you speak with me and you'll say, okay, here's a, an elected official. Then another time you say, wait a minute, this guy's a hippie. Then another time you'll say, hey, this guy is some type of sage. You know, <laughs> I, I, I move through all of these universes. And it's scary at first until people finally say, wait a minute, there's more to life and our purpose than what we were told. I yeah. love that. To- to that end, um, do you want to <laughs> tell our listeners a little bit about your background, just a quick bio for those who are not familiar with your work and what you do? Uh, I, I was born in uh, Brooklyn. Brooklyn is the largest borough uh, county uh, in the city of New York out of the five, 2.6 million people, extremely diverse, moved to Queens as a child. I was arrested uh, by police officers who assaulted my brother and I, and that's why the uh, the movement around police reform is so important to me. Uh, but instead of saying, why woe is me, I said, why not me? I joined the police department. Uh, I started an organization for, for police reform and public safety at the same time. I became a sergeant, lieutenant, a captain, and retired as a captain. I went on to become a state senator. Then uh, after serving four terms, I became the first person of color to be the bar president in uh, Brooklyn, and on the way, uh, something called chronic disease uh, hijacked or attempted to hijack my life. Uh, I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes uh, four years ago, woke up one morning, and I could not see my alarm clock. I lost sight in my, my left eye. I was losing in my right, had constant tingling in my hands and feet that was permanent uh, neuropathic nerve damage that would eventually lead to amputation, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, at the American package. Mm. And, <laughs> and start, instead of following the American route of using a prescription, uh, I decided to use plants. And in three weeks uh, of, after going to a whole food plant-based diet, diet, my vision came back. Three months later, my diabetes went in remission. The nerve damage went away. The ulcer I had went away, dropped 35 pounds. Uh, I like to tell people I don't have a six pack. I have a case now. My body's so tight and I feel good every day. <laughs> That's that so funny. Is remarkable. <laughs> and I think one of the reasons I wanted you on here is because you have ideas around uh, rooftop farming. And you've talked about how Queens and the Bronx were farmland originally. So can you talk about what you'd like to do there and what kinds of businesses you'd like to build for the city? I'm in this place of one solution solves a multitude of problems. And so we were in the agrarian economy at one time. We're cycling out of COVID. We're going to have a real problem around food. Uh, COVID reveals that comorbidities and pre-existing conditions uh, led to a higher rate of hospitalizations and deaths. Uh, we're dealing with food deserts throughout our entire uh, city, particularly in economically challenging communities. So look at all of those areas and now say to uh, ourselves, our, envir our environment is going through a terrible time because of too many trucks are on the road. So why not use our rooftops? Why not look at using a uh, vertical farming, uh, using uh, everything from hydroponics, and let's start with, with our school system. We feed 960,000 children 
children a day. Wow. Why not say, let's grow the food. Mm-hmm. And by growing the food, using rooftops, using classrooms, using empty factory spaces, you will, the person who invent and create, expand the system now will, would have enough money to leverage long contracts. So if I go to the companies that state that, hey, I'm going to give you a five-year guaranteed contract that you're going to grow uh, the vegetables and some of the fruits that you're going to provide to our school system, you now can leverage that to go into the science and to expand. And what do we do in the process? The trade-off is you're going to teach my young children a nutritionally-based education so they can learn this multi-billion dollar industry of urban farming. They're going to be skillful in it. And these are the jobs of the future because 40% of the jobs we're training our children for now won't be available because of computer learning and artificial intelligence. But we're always going to eat. Then we take the trucks off the road that are are feeding um, our Department of Education. And then we have the children built into their civic educational plan of identifying food desert, food apartheid, and do nutritionally based educations in their communities so that you can go into the bodegas and local stores and uh, uh, storefronts and start making available fresh fruits and vegetables. Then we go to the Department of Correction and start feeding them healthy meals instead of the meals we're feeding. Then we supply it to the hospitals. So this will continue to expand based on the buying power and the leverage we have as a city. So have you actually been able to incentivize or figure out ways to incentivize or, or I don't know, mandate some farms in Brooklyn already? Or is this something you're thinking about for the future? Well, it's, it's, it's here. Um, we, we put a substantial amount of money uh, into our schools, the Department of Education, one of the largest uh, school systems in the, in the country. And we put a substantial amount of money in the schools where children are learning, uh, on how to deal with growing food in the, in the classroom. We partnered with an amazing organization called Farm Shelf. And, and, and look at what happened with this group that we partnered with. They have this uh, uh, sort of this unit that's the size of a refrigerator where they grow uh, vegetables uh, inside uh, the refrigerator in the classroom. The children are connecting mm-hmm. with local uh, public housing to give the to give the freshly grown food to. But the children in this school, Democracy Academy, it was an alternative high school where the children were not coming to class. When we bought a couple of units and put them in and allowed them to be engaged with this farming inside the classroom, urban farming, the teachers said, we can't get them out of the school. <laughs> they, they found the purpose. So education is not feeding the creative energy of our children. They're, they're not into this rope learning. They're not into this, you know, um, not being able to really look at their creative energy and find purpose. And so some of the programs we have in the Department of Education, they have been extremely successful. We are trying to turn uh, a public housing development called Marlboro Projects. We want, we want to spend uh, close to $13 million to build a two-story greenhouse that's going to teach uh, uh, farming, education around farming, uh, um, how to deal with food deserts. The bureaucracy that's in the way is unbelievable. We okay. have been working on this project for about three years, and that's one of the problems we're having. Too many people in government mm-hmm. just don't get it. Is it about getting the money together, or or is it about 
building it or like what what signatures do you need that you're having trouble getting great question it's not about the money i am allocating the money we already have the money the money right. is sitting there waiting to be spent uh we we have we have dueling rules and codes in our city and we don't have a universal plan on okay we want to do urban farming we want to do rooftop farming we want to do vertical farming and so our city and the city's zoning and policies are stuck in the 20th century when the entire planet is evolving technology is evolving and so when you go to people in these various agencies that are professional naysayers they say well we can't do that and you say why because we've never done that mm. right <laughs> do you think there are opportunities for private public partnerships here too dealing working with a lot of the landlords who might be looking for new opportunities to use their real estate right now yes i think that that is something that we are exploring because when you think about everyone is going to take a financial hit uh, through uh, covid uh, when i save uh, i diversify my savings so if one part of my savings uh, stock or my CDs go down, at least I diversified it enough. Mm. Uh, now landlords must start thinking outside the box. How do you diversify your plant? How do you diversify your builders? We see that in some of the uh, towers that are placed on builders for cell phone usage, but we can actually diversify the rooftops uh, like uh, some of the uh, establishments in the in industry city, the Navy Yard, uh, they have a uh, different greenery grown on their rooftop. Our factories have an amazing amount of rooftop space. We're not going to grow more land, but we have, uh, you know, millions of, of feet of rooftop space that is underutilized. And we believe we can use it a better way uh, to grow food in a more yeah. healthier way. Because I, I assume like education is a key component about of this, but I imagine in a dream world for you, all of the rooftops would just be growing the food for New York or for New York to eat, right? Like it's not just government controlled farms. You'd want a lot of people growing their own stuff as well, right? Without a doubt. Uh, I believe that uh, we, I think that we should return to an agrarian economy. And I remember saying this to my team two years ago, and they all walked out of the room and said, he must be smoking that weed that's illegal. <laughs> you know? And now they started talking to finance experts. Right. Uh, we and they're like, what if we grow that weed on the rooftops? <laughs> that's how you make the money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but we, 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 we partnered with NYU's um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, finance uh, team there. They're looking at it, they're crunching the numbers and they said, wait a minute. This guy is onto something. And we partnered with Cornell University uh, and people are seeing the doability of, of actually doing this. And I feel that all of our rooftops uh, can play a role. We can repurpose these rooftops to ensure that we can grow our food. We're going to take trucks off the road of mm -hmm. fresh vegetables. There's a great opportunity to redefine ourselves as a city. What is the red tape like for a private institution to grow on their rooftop like uh, uh, you know we're very familiar with 
quote unquote like trendy restaurants having a uh, a farm on their roof and they're like you know after your aperitif come check out our farm or whatever <laughs> but like if i have a big apartment con- uh, complex and i'm like i want to turn my roof into a farm it do i have to what kind of legal um hurdles are there or can i just start doing it no two pieces uh daniel and that's very important what you just stated and i hope the listeners heard you me too <laughs> <laughs> Racism is built into the structure of our society. We're comfortable with a trendy restaurant in an affluent community saying, when you finish your tea and you finish your Merlot, now I go up to the rooftop and we're going to handpick some of your microgreens. Mm -hmm. And you know what? It's acceptable. But now you go out to Brownsville and you have a group of residents that are stating, we have all of this uh, the, the, the footage, um, all of this, uh, the feet, square feet of rooftop, we want to grow and have our gardens here. Now, all of a sudden, the rule book, rules come out. You know, all of a sudden, it becomes impossible to do. It is as though in our mind that people in economically challenging communities are not deserving of some of the finer things that we place in other communities. Mm-hmm. And so what the uh, Department of Buildings, the Fire Department, of the Department of Health, all of these di- different entities have not come in, have not come together and started to say, how do we make this happen instead of saying, how can't it happen? That's what we have to do. do. And I partnered with the former councilman uh, uh, in Brooklyn, and we came together and say, it's time to get all of our agencies together uh, that are in this space and come up with ways of making this happen. And uh, that is one of the goals that we have because they're all over the place, they're disjointed, and that is preventing the movement forward. So you'll get a, an approval in one agency just for another agency to be in complete contradiction of another agency. Yeah, no, it's a great point. It's also like the it's also the perception of what they're growing too, right? Like the trendy New York restaurant people the perception of what's being grown, people would be excited about it. Like, oh, that's so cool. It's grown right here. But if it's more industrial and it's grown in a lower income neighborhood, the perception would be that it's more like crops for feeding and not not anything that people should be excited about. So so true. And I think that uh, people miss the connection that we long for and we need with nature not only with the growing of food locally, the plants there, not only is going to feed your body, but it feeds the anatomy of your spirit. Mm -hmm. Living in a concrete environment, not seeing the health of the food that you're growing, not being a part of, not being connected to nature, we don't realize it, but it plays on us. And it it takes away from who we are as human beings. That's why you go around public housing, you see a high level of violence, high level of chronic diseases, a high level of stress, mental health illnesses. It's because of the environment people are in. And I truly believe that if you turn it into a more green environment, a more uh, inclusiveness with nature, you'll get a different outcome. I think that's that's a great segue back into your personal journey. And you actually just wrote a book about this, um, Healthy at Last, where you talk about how you change your diet to fight chronic disease and how in so many communities, there's 
there needs to be a push for this. There needs to be a push for eating healthier. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your goals there and, and how you want to, I don't know, change the way that people eat in certain communities? I think about this for a moment. Three months, three months of going to a whole food plant-based diet. I went from losing my vision, permanent nerve damage that was reversed. Diabetes was also reversed. My ulcer went away. My blood pressure normalized. Uh, my cholesterol normalized. In three months, think about that for a moment. Mm -hmm. The people, and I spent the entire, uh, has it been nine months now with COVID? Every day of those nine months, I have been in the streets. And I'm sure I've been around people who have had COVID. I'm, I'm pretty sure I was in their presence. I was delivering masks. I moved into Borough Hall. I put a mattress on the, on the floor and I slept here. And I use it as a, a mobilization from my office in Borough Hall. Now, if we would have spent the last three months, we were feeding people in this city for three months. If we would have said, on our dime, we're giving you healthy foods. We're not giving you nacho chips. We're not giving you um, processed food. We're going to give you healthy food like quinoa, which is one of the most nutritional of meals people can have. We're gonna introduce you to new food. We would have number one, we would have fed people, which was important. Number two, we would have started the process of building their immune system so they could have a stronger immune system to fight off COVID-19. Three, we would have started changing the habits that people are so wedded to that believe they could only eat fast food, junk food. So we, we're missing a golden opportunity. My goal is, as my program is at, at Bellevue Hospital, we're first of its kind in New York, if not America, where we're doing lifestyle medicine, 750 people are on the waiting list, 200 and about 30 people are in the program, and we are helping people to cycle off their disease and, and medicine and using this new term called reversing chronic diseases. And that is what I believe our health and hospitals should do and what I want to continue to do to show people how you use food as medicine. And that is what's important. That's what my book wanted to point out. Many people believe uh, that their culture is tied to the food that's poisoning them. And I wanted to give a very real, honest story of exposing my weakness. You know, hey, I'm the bar president. Yes, I'm a former state senator, but I'm just an everyday person that I was digging my grave with my knife and fork. And I want to show people how uh, they can live a healthy life. And that's why my 80-year-old mother was able to reverse her diabetes, uh, also get off insulin after only two months of going whole food plant-based. And about restaurants in general, do you have a position speaking to your constituents about how they can get out of this crisis? Um, like many small business owners, they have been so impacted by COVID. And I'm wondering if you see a path forward for them. Yeah, especially with my small restaurants. And I hear some people say restaurants are for rich people. Uh, they should try the days when I was a kid and I was a dishwasher, helping my mother pay the mortgage by washing dishes in a, in a restaurant. Uh, restaurants are for everyday people. Inside a restaurant is a, is a cook, is a dishwasher, waiter, waitress, busboy, girl, uh, low skill, a low salary, they're eking out a living, and we have to get our restaurants back open. I believe they're the bellwether of a city. If you don't get them up and operating, uh, it's an indicator of how bad your city is doing. I think the city can do a better job. Stop purchasing our food from outside the city mm. and outside the state. Uh, let's localize 
the production of food. Let's allow our local restaurants to use their kitchens to supply the food. We are providing millions of meals. Let's allow our local restaurants to handle this, uh, dis this distribution of food to communities and really engage them to keep them afloat, to keep people hired right here in, in, in our city. We spend mm -hmm. too much money out of our city and I'm pretty sure other big cities are spending too much money uh, outside of their city limits, going to places that, that it may be cheaper in the short term, but in the long term, keeping your people employed, engaged, and your small businesses open is is extremely important. Awesome. I love that. Yeah. As you so as you look to uh, mayoral run, how much of this are you incorporating into your platform? Like, are these the kinds of things that you will be talking about? constantly or is it just a, a, a portion of your plan a, a substantial portion at the our crisis our health system daniel is not sustainable we have 30 million americans diabetic 84 million million are pre-diabetic we're spending 80 cents on a dollar on chronic diseases. Diabetes is the leading cause of blindness leading cause of non-trauma limb amputation leading causes of kidney failure we can't continue to go down this road. And I'm, mm -hmm. I am really disappointed. Which, which presidential candidate talked about food and healthy food? What candidates running for statewide, citywide offices all across this country? Who's engaged in pro preventive medicine about healthy food? Everyone is talking about access to healthcare. What good is it to have a fancy hospital when you're going there to have your legs cut off because of uh, diabetes, neuropathic, neuropathic nerve damage. We have to become proactive. And that's my message. Mm -hmm. I'm going to use help in hospital to ensure we have a proactive approach and give people choices so they don't have a lifetime of being on prescriptions, but they could have a lifetime that's healthy on being on plants. Final thing, are you, you you said in the beginning that, you know, some people call you a hippie or sometimes you're a hippie. <laughs> All right, what does it mean to be a hippie? And are you are you a hippie? <laughs> I think I am. <laughs> you know, I, I should have been born in the 60s, man. You know? <laughs> uh, I, I just believe, let me tell you, I think that we had a very unique cosmic shift in the universe where people, <laughs> are really looking for their purpose. And they're no longer looking to just go through the motion of being on volumes and statin and, you know, going home every day, being unhappy. Uh, you know, in Bhutan, when I was there, they judged their country, not by the gross national product, they judged it by the happiness of their people. We may be financially sound, but we emotionally bankrupt. And it's time to really start investing in what's important. And that's family, friends, and happiness. All right. Let's grow happiness. <laughs> Love it. Thank, thank you. Thank, thank you. you for Take your care. work. And thank you. Uh, your book is Healthy at Last. It just came out in October. Everyone should check it out. Thanks so much. Thank you. Appreciate you guys. Take care. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you to Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams. Thank you to you, Daniel. And we will see you back here this week, next week. We will see you back here next week.